0: Hi, this is Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains, where real scientists answer your beauty questions for Tuesday, February 11th, 2014. Mm. Hello, and welcome to The Beauty Brains. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me, as always, Randy Schuler. Hello, Randy.
1: Hello, Perry, and everybody listening.
0: Hey, you know, I was uh, reading uh, Twitter, as I am wont to do. Actually, uh, for the listeners out there, feel free to follow us on Twitter. It's The Beauty it. Yeah, and join
1: join the, uh, what, 12,000 other people who uh, are followers.
0: There are a lot of followers. I wonder how many people actually follow. I mean, there's so many people, you know, that follow thousands of people. I don't know how they follow any. We follow, what, uh, Eh,
2: 150 people? Yeah,
1: something like that, yeah.
0: It's pretty hard to keep up with everybody.
1: <laughs> it is. It is. It's like <laughs> I, dipping your toe into the river, you know? You just can't keep up with, with everything that, that flows past you in Twitter.
0: Indeed, indeed. Uh, did you see the big news, though, on Twitter? Uh, though, like uh, This came through my Twitter feed. It wasn't about Twitter. But you see the big news? Oh, what's that? Um, that J&J finally announced that they uh, reformulated their baby shampoo and, and removed uh, uh, the the objectionable preservative for a whole new formulation.
1: That was the big headline about uh, no more formaldehyde. Although, <laughs> I mean, to be technically correct, it's a formaldehyde donor, but
0: well, exactly. And uh, uh but they uh they swapped they swapped their formula with a new preservative system, and I think when they did that, uh that changed the color, so they had to change the color, and it changed the thickness, so they had to put in a uh, a new thickener and so that whenever you tinker with these formulas, you know,
1: that can kind of have a cascading effect. You know, it's, it's rare that you can just unplug one ingredient from the formula and plug another one directly. in.
0: Yeah. I hope they don't run into like the problem that new Coke ran into, right? It they, <laughs> they takes like an iconic brand. They change it. And, then, and uh, I don't know if anybody will continue using it.
1: Right. Well, we'll see. We should uh, track the sales of uh, J and J's baby shampoo.
0: Although, whenever they make changes in in cosmetics, like something like that, they, they often have the mandate to make it exactly the same. So, change it, but make it exactly the same.
1: Well, or at least uh, that, you know, close enough that consumer testing shows that there isn't a significant difference.
0: Yeah. So, that's uh, J&J uh, kowtowing to the uh, the radical <laughs> NGOs, if you ask me. But, <laughs> you know, is it is it kowtowing? Uh, I just like the sound of that. That, I think
1: that term does not get used often enough. It really doesn't.
0: Speaking of not used often enough, today uh, we're getting close to Valentine's Day, aren't we?
1: Actually, that's a great segue in today's edition of Beauty Science News. So, this week on Beauty Science News, we have a story that sort of combines beauty science and St. Valentine's Day, which is perfect since that's coming up on, what is that, Friday?
0: Uh, I think it is Friday, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I like to call this piece the deadly danger of Valentine's Day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're such a romantic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dramatic romantic. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes as I am wont to do, but just to quickly recap it, um, the article is about food allergies, which you know I'd never really given much thought to, uh, although I'm actually allergic to raw onions, so I guess I should pay attention to this, but... Uh, apparently, over 30,000 people a year end up in the emergency room due to food allergies. Wow. So I, I would not have guessed the number was that high. And uh, a uh, professor out of the University of California, Dr. Suzanne Tuber, uh, conducted a study. And I guess she looked at about 400 of these patients with food allergies.
0: I wonder if she likes uh, potatoes, <laughs> Dr. Tuber. Because Tuber? Sorry.
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, that's good. You know what? I'll say right now, I'm going to cut that out. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, anyway, so so Doctor Tuber uh, found that five percent of these patients with food allergies had an allergic reaction after kissing someone who had eaten a food to which they were allergic. So they didn't even consume the food; they just kissed a person who had eaten the food. Wow. So what
0: what was that attributed to? Just the, some of the protein was left on their lips, and
1: uh, that or tongue kissing, I guess. I don't know. I, so the reason I thought this was relevant to Valentine's Day is, you know, with you know February fourteenth coming up, the risk uh, is going to be that much higher of of having one of these incidental allergic reactions because Valentine's Day is uh, more kissing occurs on Valentine's Day than any other day of the year.
0: Wow. Well, people people got to be careful, and uh, you know. Maybe it would be helpful if we went through what are some of the top food allergies and then you can if you might have one of these you can tell your partner not to eat these things before you kiss them, right? <laughs>
1: okay, so a little countdown of the top 8 food allergies. I like that.
0: All right, so the 8 food allergies, uh of course, uh, these are not in any uh specific order. Um so they are just the 8. Uh, okay. But I'll, I'll put them in order of the way that I like them, right? So, <laughs> okay, I like that. So, uh, wheat allergies. Uh, uh, you know, everyone's uh, it, gluten-free things have been in the news a lot. And so many more people think that they have a wheat allergy than they actually do. Hmm. Uh, but, it's, uh, uh, c-
1: it's celiac disease, isn't it?
0: Celiac disease, exactly. And uh, these these people, when you ingest uh, gluten-containing materials, it's it wreaks havoc on your intestinal system and, and actually i think a lot of people have had it and it's not been diagnosed because you know if your stomach's a little upset after you eat something maybe you don't go to the doctor for that but uh, hmm. but that's becoming more prevalent but not nearly as prevalent as marketers are convincing people i mean there are actually hmm. uh cosmetics that are supposed to be gluten free ah. when there's no evidence that uh you know if you're allergic to gluten smearing any of it on your you know, arms is going to have a negative effect.
1: Right, because it's when you ingest it, uh, is when, that's when you have the problem.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay, another, the next one is, so that was number eight. Number seven would be soy. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find soy, soy milk as a good uh, substitute for milk, but uh, people are actually allergic to soy.
1: Yeah, it's in also in uh, soy sauce. <laughs> <'Cause it's,
0: laughs> so, that's just soy fun sauce. to say, soy sauce.
1: <laughs> Cow towel. <laughs> yes. Uh,
0: Number six is milk. Uh, A lot of people are allergic to milk, and that's usually lactose intolerance, right? Right. Um, And I think maybe humans were originally, through evolution, we originally, you know, didn't drink a lot of milk, and then so we were allergic to it, and then we start drinking it, and some people maintain that allergy to it. Um, Number five, eggs. People are allergic to eggs,
1: so no kissing after breakfast,
0: <laughs> right? Or hard-boiled. I wonder if it matters how the egg is uh, cooked, because you know you scramble them that uh, modifies the proteins. But right, right. Hmm, but interesting. Maybe question. not all of them. All right. Then next is shellfish, so things like uh, lobster and shrimp and and those sorts of things. I wonder what the allergy the what the allergy is there. Maybe it's the chitin. You think?
1: Uh yeah, I mean these things are, tend to be protein-based, right? So I, I don't know.
0: Well, yeah, I mean the commonality with shellfish is their exoskeleton or their chitin. Right. So. I wonder if that would mean that you would be allergic to eating spiders. Uh, Not that know, a lot of people eat
1: spiders. <laughs> <laughs> well, just if you do, just don't kiss afterwards.
0: You know, I only bring up spiders because I'm I'm in my house here. You know, the right now it's uh, what five degrees outside. It's pretty cold, and and when I say five degrees, for our international listeners, that's uh, Fahrenheit. So. well,
1: wow, so you're right now in the midst of like a triple digression. I can't wait to see how deep this goes.
0: <laughs> so I was uh, walking around. I saw there was a spider in my house. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, at five degrees outside, how's this spider still alive? Uh, uh, go figure. But I have no intention of eating that spider either because I think I might have a shellfish uh, allergy. Okay, number four. Wow. (laughs) Did I extract myself? Uh, Just barely. (laughs) Number four, uh, actually just regular fish. People are allergic to all sorts of regular fish. Uh, Again, so um, if you're on a date with somebody and you think you might have a fish allergy, don't let them have the (laughs) mahi-mahi. Next is... uh, Number three, tree nuts. So these are walnuts and almonds, um, and all sorts of things. You know, uh, this, this types of things that squirrels are gonna eat. A uh, fair amount of people are allergic to those kinds of things. Um, and it's not a nut, although in that uh, um, that one week where I ate only nuts, I did consider it a nut. Number two allergy is peanuts.
1: That's a uh, it's a legume, is it not?
0: Um, Did I say number two? This is the number one. That's the number one, yeah. (laughs) Number one. Yeah, uh, peanuts. Peanuts, indeed. Peanuts are a legume, uh, and they're also one of the most uh, allergy-causing foods out there. I think, actually, peanuts is the food that people are most allergic to.
1: So I thought this was the Charles Schultz cartoon. So, no.
0: (laughs) It, It is the Charles Schultz cartoon, indeed, but it's also a breakfast food.
1: It's a breakfast food.
0: Well, not just for breakfast. I said baseball and you know, all times. Actually, I'm a huge fan of huge fan of peanuts. You know. <laughs> Fortunately, most uh, of the comic strip and the food. Wow. Uh, so have people? Uh, the, you need to avoid uh, eating avoid those, peanuts, or uh, at least kissing people who've been avoid, eating. Yeah, peanuts.
1: Yeah, avoid avoid kissing people who's eat, even, eating those foods. And also, you know, let's not forget some people are allergic to flowers, which are a common Valentine's Day gift, and you know, I'm pretty sure chocolate contributes to cavities. So this is why I just give cash on Valentine's
0: Day. <laughs> that's I Although nowadays people give gift cards, really. Well, that's
1: true. That's even more romantic.
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: Wow. Speaking okay, of ro- I, ra- romantic, I, do we have I, a... Uh... Oh, we've got to do something to get off this topic. I'll tell you. <laughs> why don't we uh, go right into our next segment? We have a listener question today. Oh, yay. Uh, and Yeah. So this uh, comes from Krista.
2: Hey Beauty Brains, this is Krista calling in from North Carolina. And my question is, um, what exactly is a synthetic dye used in lipstick? I Earlier this fall I've been reading a lot of kind of green books, I guess you can say. Um, no More Dirty Looks, and then I found a book, There's Lead in Your Lipstick. Until I stumbled upon your book, It's Okay to Have Lead in Your Lipstick. Um, So now I'm kind of rethinking everything um, and also doing more research about what what natural products or claiming to be natural are really not at all. And so I found um, a line that was claiming that they did not have any synthetic dyes in their lipsticks. But when I went to the ingredients page, it said things such as FD&C yellow number five, blue number one etc. So I just wanted to make sure that those really are synthetic and that these companies are just pretty much giving false advertisement out there. Um, Yeah, and that's it. Thanks in advance.
0: All right, a very thorough question there. Yeah, I,
1: uh, Krista, 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 you know, although I'm a little disappointed in Krista's question, do you know why? Uh,
0: no, what was that?
1: Well, she mentioned our
0: book, but she didn't read the
1: (laughs) subtitle. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. It's okay to have lead in your lipstick,
1: and answers to other beauty questions you're dying to know. So, uh, of, course, that. of course, no, I'm, uh, Krista, I'm just teasing. Of course, we love you. Thank you for the question. And you, you know, know, she actually. Oh, no, go ahead.
0: You know what I did appreciate about it, Krista is that when she asked the question, she first started out and gave her name, and then said where she's from. So, if you are if you are going to give a give a, give a question, feel free to do the same.
1: And if you mention our book, it ups the chances of you getting on the show, Graham.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't, it certainly does not hurt.
1: So um, what I did like about Krista is that she raised several questions. Um, I mean, there was a little bit in there about what does it really mean to be natural, you know, a little bit of, you know, what does it mean to think skeptically? Because I read one book that tells me one thing and another book tells me something else. And then, of course, she asked about, you know, how to tell if dyes are synthetic. So... Uh, we've already had an episode about, you know, greenwashing and fake natural products, so we won't go back into that today, but I thought we'd answer her question about colors and cosmetics. Sure, sure. So maybe, uh, I mean, you want to start with maybe a quick little bit of history?
0: Yeah, absolutely. At least this pertains to the United States, and as the United States went uh, with regulating the cosmetic world, uh, the rest of the world has kind of followed suit, but uh the, the As we talked about on a previous show, the FDA is the one responsible for regulating cosmetics. And uh, the FDC, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act of 1938, uh, came about. One of the reasons it came about was because a lot of people were uh, falling ill due to the colorants that were used in the cosmetics. And if you look at colorants, they are the most regulated ingredients that you find in cosmetics. And, in fact, the FDC Act uh, requires that each individual batch of organic colors that is going to be used in a cosmetic, it has to be analyzed to ensure that they meet the safety standards uh, set at the time. So,
1: I mean, it's kind of amazing if you think about it. You, you can't just say, well, you know, we've been making this red dye for 50 years, so, you know, we know it's safe. Go ahead and make another batch. Every single time the company makes a batch, it has to be inspected to make sure that it complies. Otherwise, it can't be used in cosmetics.
0: Uh, Exactly. And even despite having this uh, regulation, you know, it's highly regulated, uh, in the 50s, uh, several kids fell ill after eating high level of color additives. And so this led to the passage of the color additives amendment of 1960, which had even stricter rules. And so that's where the name certified color uh, came from. And and that means that each batch of colorant has been certified by the FDA as safe.
1: You know, I think um, one of the most confusing things about colors is just what to call these things, you know. And um, I, I, I know uh, being in the industry is confusing, so I can only imagine it's it's just as confusing, if not more, to consumers. But let me kind of define the terms that we'll be using just hopefully that'll help clarify things. So, um, you know, you'll hear the term colors, colorants, dyes, pigments, and those all sort of get used interchangeably, but they, you know, they, they are different, right? So for, for our sake, we're going to talk about colors or colorants. That's sort of the highest level, you know, broadest descriptive term. Um, now dyes are a specific type of color that are soluble in either oil and water. Um, so now, don't confuse dyes with hair dyes, right? Hair dyes are not colors. Actually, hair dyes are colorless molecules until they react inside your hair to form the hair color. But they yeah, are not, polymers. you know, right, they're polymers. So they do not um, impart color to a product. And that's um, essentially the definition of, of the, in, the ingredients that fall under these um, uh, the color amendments additive. So the, the the ingredient has to impart product to the color. So hair dyes are a completely different chemistry. So, okay. Dyes again are soluble in water. Pigments are not soluble in either oil or water. And a sub example of a pigment, just to make things even more convoluted, um, there's a material called a lake where they'll take a water soluble dye and basically plate it out into, onto a, an insoluble substrate. So, uh, for example, you might want to do that for a lipstick. If you've got a water-soluble color in your lipstick, it's going to just bleed off every time you take a drink of water. So what right. you can do is you take that water-soluble color, you put it on another material to make it insoluble. Therefore, it makes uh, for a good lipstick colorant, and we would call that material a lake. So and a and little... when we're
0: talking about these lakes, uh, the, the insoluble types of things are like uh, aluminum, for example. Uh, yeah. So you, yeah. you can... Yeah. You can essentially bind the dye to the aluminum, and that makes it insoluble.
1: So you're converting a dye into a pigment, essentially. Exactly. So, all right. So the next big question is, where do these colorants come from? I'm trying to get to answer Krista's question about what's what's synthetic and what's natural. So, there are two types of colorants: organic and inorganic. Um, now. You know, we're not talking about the the type of organic ingredient that you'd read on a you know organic food label or, an, or even an organic shampoo label. That that's a different meaning. Right. Uh, in in this case, organic materials or, or organic colorants can be synthetic or they can be vegetal, meaning they come from plants. Right. Um, so the synthetic ones are originally were called coal tar ingredients because they were derived from. Uh, like aniline, which is a coal byproduct. I think these days they're made, you know, through other synthetic pathways, but I'm I'm sure they still use some coal tar materials. They
0: probably, you know, ultimately these things uh, come usually from petroleum, right? Yeah. Yeah. So
1: so when these things are named, they become certified colors. And again, that's under that uh, Color Amendment Act we just talked about. So... um, I'll give you one example why we need special names for these things, because the chemical names are ridiculously long. So here's one example of what you would read on your cosmetic label if we use the full chemical name for a colorant. Okay, you ready for this?
0: Sure, sure, I'm ready.
1: All right, the colorant name is ethyl-4-P, ethyl-M, benzo, amino-gamma, o sulfyl, phenyl, benzylidine, 2 5 hexidine one illidine M-sulfobenzyl ammonium hydroxide disodium salt.
0: <laughs> I can't believe people don't want that on their, cos- their shampoo <laughs> bottle.
1: So, so, some people don't. Go figure. So, instead of putting that on your bottle, we can put on FD&C Red Number 2. Nice. So, they've come up with uh, three levels of, of naming, right? You can have a, a food, drug, and cosmetic colorant. That's FD&C. Obviously, that can be used in any of those products. You can have a drug and cosmetic colorant, or C, or just external drug and cosmetic colorant. So as the name implies, you can only use that on products that are used on the outside of the body, so you couldn't use that in a, in a lipstick because it might be ingested. And you couldn't use it to color, let's say, a pill that you would swallow. So only in external drugs and cosmetics.
0: We so- should also mention that there are some colors that are only allowed to be used around the eye area and and others are not.
1: Correct. So uh, Christy even mentioned a few of these in her question, right? So that's where you get the FDNC, the DNC, and the external DNC. Now you understand what each of those abbreviations mean. And thank goodness we have those. Otherwise, you'd have those unwieldy chemical names like the the example I just gave you.
0: Exactly. Okay. so,
1: So those are the organic synthetic colorants. So if you see one of those... Um, the names I just mentioned, and DNC, or external DNC, you know by definition that is a synthetic colorant.
0: Although I should mention that uh, nowadays the cosmetic industry doesn't really use those uh, things on the labels anymore. So it's just gone to the numbers. It's trying to get in line with uh, you know what Europe the, is doing.
1: The European, yep, yep exactly. Yeah. All right, so, we, so
0: we talked about uh, these different colorants. Uh, uh, now we can talk a little bit about, uh, you know, th- so those are the synthetic ones. We can talk a little bit about the ones that are derived from plants, which is uh, what Krista actually uh, wanted to know, I, I think, or at least part of what she wanted to know.
1: Yeah, so and, these are the organic vegetal colors.
0: Right, and so that includes things like beta-carotene,
1: Right, that would come from uh, like carrots and squash.
0: Carrots, that orangish color, you yeah. know. Yeah. Then there's carmine. You know, uh, you know where carmine comes from. And don't say Milwaukee. You know, it's an old Laverne and Shirley joke.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Our audience is going to love that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, uh, no, you
0: know where carmine comes from.
1: It comes from crushed insects. It's the the beetle, if I remember correctly.
0: That's right. They have these uh, this very red shell. And you crush them up, and you get a nice bright red color.
1: They're it's they're taking a little bit of liberty by sort of clumping that under the the vegetal list of colors, but that's where it shows up. So
0: yeah, it it seems to me that would be animal derived, right? Right, right. And but actually, I I think vegans would not want uh, a carmine colored lipstick.
1: Right, right. But it is natural.
0: Indeed. Uh, next is henna. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, henna comes from a plant, and uh, it's it's henna's got sort of a Brownish color, right? Yep, yep. And speaking of brownish color, we have caramel color, uh, which you can get from uh, heating sugars, among other ways.
1: And I guess those come from plants originally, so that makes sense.
0: Right. And so, but you can see the issue here um, with strictly vegetable-derived colors is that you have a really limited palette.
1: Right. And I think most of those are, um, I think most of those colors are just water-soluble, I believe.
0: Right, exactly.
1: So um, you've got a limited palette of colors, and you can't put them in too many different products because they won't they won't stick around if they're water soluble.
0: Right. Then there are the inorganic colors, which most everybody would consider these natural, I guess, right? or or as natural as like rocks out on the, in the yeah, quarry or something.
1: I mean, again, you know, these they certainly come from minerals, but they're highly right. processed. I mean, they they go through all sorts of Chemical reactions to get from the you know from the rock into the yeah. color that actually goes in the product, but you know they they're naturally sourced. Right, um, exactly. These are also not soluble in anything, so in general they're considered safer because you're not going to you know ingest them and have them get into your blood mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, now they don't have to be certified like the organic colorants do, but they still have to meet certain impurity requirements, especially for heavy metals since they're natural materials. They're screened out to make sure they don't have any. Lead or arsenic in them, you know, the, the metals that they could pick up to the environment,
0: or at least excessive levels of lead. In correct, canyon.
1: yes, correct, correct.
0: In fact, uh, these colorants are going to have some small amount of lead in them just because they're natural.
1: Yeah, I have actually I read that in this book called "It's Okay to Have Lead in Your Lipstick," <laughs>
0: and answers to other beauty questions you're dying to know.
1: <laughs> that's the that's the book you've heard of it. Uh, so these pigments are primarily used in makeup because, you know, they're not soluble or anything else. So they can be ground up into a powder. They can be dispersed in a wax base. So you'll see them in makeups as opposed to, let's say, using them to color a shampoo or a body lotion.
0: Exactly. And so right. that, that these are things like iron oxide. So if you look at uh, most any color cosmetics, is going to have some sort of iron – or like a powdered color cosmetics. It's going to have some sort of iron oxide in there. And uh, you can uh, – You'll get colors like yellow, brown, reddish, uh, you know, any kind of color that looks like rust, you can, you can get that. Yeah,
1: and it, which makes sense because those are, you know, synthetically processed iron to some extent. So it makes sense that they would have uh, that rusty palette of colors.
0: And did you know just blending certain levels of the yellow, brown, and red iron oxides, you can create uh, any human skin color. You can match any human skin color with just those iron oxides.
1: Oh, I did not realize
0: that. True story. Then we have uh, carbon black, uh, so y- you burn a natural gas flame onto an iron surface, uh, um, and uh, then you could get get some black color. You know, you Definitely.
1: can also make that by uh, calcinating animal bones, which I didn't realize. So that would be another um, uh, colorant that uh, vegans might want to steer away from, or at least they would want to find out, hey, are you making this through by burning natural gas, or, or are you calcifying animal bones?
0: Yeah, it's. I think that would be a tough one to uh, discover, right?
1: It's certainly not going to be on the label. You might, you know, in, in fact, I, I doubt if the company even making the product knows <laughs> the, right. the source of the colorant.
2: Right.
0: Next, we have chromium oxide green. Um, and so this gives an olive green or sort of a blue-green uh, color, and this is a acid-washed chromate.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so... That's another mineral. And then we have the ultramarines, which are the blues and pinks. And these are made by melting sulfur and soda ash uh, with china clay and some charcoal pitch. Uh, and so you get a wide variety of colors there.
1: There also is a, um, a pearlizing agent known as bismuth oxychloride that's mineral-based. It doesn't give much of a color. It's sort of a silvery, whitish color, but it does give you some, uh, a nice pearled effect.
0: Ah. Did you know bismuth, the element bismuth, is the most stable uh, element that there is? And it will be around uh, longer than any other element when the universe ends?
1: It's it's the cockroach of elements.
0: (laughs) It would be the cockroach of elements, indeed. I learned that in this book uh, called The Disappearing Spoon. It's all about the periodic table. Very cool book. And answers to
1: other chemistry questions
0: <laughs> you're dying to know. <laughs> that, that's a wholly different. Uh, then we have, uh, you know, other metallic colors, just like aluminum and copper and bronze. You can get a wide variety of colors there. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we have uh, a bunch of powders that you know, most of these are uh, have have a whiteness to them. So talc and zinc oxide and kaolin.
1: Yeah, I was kind oh. of surprised that those, because I, I wouldn't think of those as colorants. They're more, you know, typically used as opacifying agents or bulking agents, but they're, you know, technically un, under the laws as they stand, they are listed as colorants.
0: Right. So do you want to wrap this up uh, and give the bottom line for... Uh... Yeah. So
1: so Krista or anybody else who's looking for natural products, if you see that fd and designation or dnc designation used next to a colorant well that's still on the label as of today anyway uh you know for a fact that that is a synthetic colorant not a natural material you might look for those inorganic colors we talked about the iron oxides the carbon blacks and so forth those have a natural source or the organic vegetal colors uh, beta carotene henna caramel and so forth um those would be at least naturally sourced compared to those synthetic organic dyes.
0: Uh, although, this isn't to say that these natural colorants are any safer than the synthetic ones, but if, if that is a concern of yours, that's how you can tell. Fair enough. Speaking of how you can tell, great answers to beauty questions. Uh, <laughs> did you hear about this excellent new book that's out called It's Okay to Have Lead in Your Lipstick?
1: I can't even read the subtitle again. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, indeed,
0: you can get a copy of that book, our latest book from the Beauty Brains. You can go right to uh, theBeautyBrains.com, and we have a place you can get the book there, or go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or anywhere that you can get books online.
1: Excellent. So now, you know see. the
0: nice part about going through the website though is you get you can get a paper copy of the book where we we even sign it out and. We oh. put it in the envelopes. It's got that personal touch, so maybe you'd like that better.
1: Oh my God, the the joy on people's faces when that comes in the mail and they unwrap that and they see that book—it's just—it's something to behold.
0: You know, not to joke though, but we did get. Remember that uh, one customer who got her book and she took a picture of the little note that we put in there and she put it up on Twitter. <laughs> right. right. Uh, that that was, was actually
1: that was sweet. That was sweet. that was
0: very cool. Very cool. <laughs> well, it looks like uh, that's the end of the show here.
1: Yeah, excellent. Good uh, good, uh, good conversation on colorants.
0: Yes, I always, always, always like color. Uh, uh, is it your turn to do the sign-off thing? I forgot the uh, I forgot the tagline. It's, it's not thanks for stopping by, right? <laughs>
1: no, I'll tell you what. I'm going to email you a copy of it so you have that in front of you. But uh, th- I'll tell you what. We'll sign off this week and I'll, I'll give it again. So, All righty. Um, so goodbye, everybody. Have a great week. Yeah, thanks, there. everybody. All right. And remember, be brainy about your beauty.